You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Welcome again, everyone, as we continue to pursue an inclusive Christian universalist approach to a God of perfect love, whose perfect love will finally prevail in each of our lives. Now, taking this path means having to deal with certain passages of Scripture which have long been used to argue the infernalist Christian position that some will be lost forever in a hell of torment or termination. And so, you might say, over the last several episodes, we've been going through hell together. And the longer we've been at this, the more I've noticed that my episode titles have been becoming increasingly less and less cheery. Last episode's title was Burned, Disowned, and Unforgiven, which kind of sounded to me like a great title for a Western movie. And today's episode could be considered the sequel, because I'm calling it Perishing, Destroyed, and Hopeless. But this is an important journey for us to take together, because we can't just ignore the main biblical texts which have been used to support infernalist Christianity and its picture of a God who brings into being children knowing that they will ultimately be burned, disowned, unforgiven, perishing, destroyed, and hopeless. Infernalism affects the way the Bible is read and translated, and in today's episode we look at three excellent examples of this. We will look at three well-known texts which are said to support the infernalist position. And we will be looking first at how the NIV, the New International Version, a favorite of evangelicals, translates these texts as illustrations of how choices in biblical translation can affect the way we see things. First, there's John 3.16 in the New International Version, which states, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then there's 2 Thessalonians 1.9 from the NIV, where Paul warns, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And then there's Hebrews 9, 26-27 in the NIV, which reads, Christ appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Now, if we put all of these together in the way the NIV translates them and in the way that infernalist Christianity understands them, then these verses end up sounding something like this. Well, we'll start with, John 3.16, in the NIV, as we've seen, reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In infernalist Christianity, this comes out sounding something like, God may have loved the world, but if you never believed in Jesus in this life, then don't think you'll ever be in heaven after this life, because your destiny is to perish, which either means goodbye forever, as in you are on the road to non-existence, or, or goodbye forever, as in you are going to be tormented forever and ever. And then 2 Thessalonians 1.9 in the NIV, which reads, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 
which comes out in infernalist Christianity, is something like, if you reject Jesus in this life, no matter how good or sincere you may have been otherwise, you will be shut out forever from God and punished with everlasting destruction, which again means either annihilation or eternal torment. And then there's Hebrews 9, 26-27 in the NIV. We've seen that it reads, Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And this comes out in Infernalist Christianity, something like, Jesus already made his appearance, and he did all of his work in one earthly life, and now this is your one earthly life, and this is where you do your work. This is your one shot at this, and if you mess this up, you're going to be messed up forever. And then if we put all of this together the way Infernalist Christianity understands it, it comes out to something like, God may love you, but if in this life, if you don't believe in his son, then you will be eternally eliminated from God's presence in an everlasting destruction, and you only get one earthly life to get it right with Jesus, so you better get it right or else. But now let's look at each of these texts to see if we can, in a more accurate way, try to translate them and have a more hopeful understanding and interpretation of them. We'll start with John 3.16. As we've seen, it reads in the NIV, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the NIV, like a lot of other English translations, for the purpose of readability, and maybe also for the purpose of making the translation fit better into their theology, does not translate the verse in this passage in the present tense in which they were written in the original Greek. Therefore, when most people read this passage, it says to them something like, God gave his Son, and everyone who has believed in him will get eternal life, and everyone who hasn't believed in him will get eternal rejection. But if you take into account the present tenseness of the verbs here, then John 3.16 has a different ring to it. For instance, consider the way the concordant literal version translates John 3.16. It preserves the present tense of the verbs and also uses English words which are more closely equivalent to the Greek. Here is John 3.16 in the concordant literal version. For thus God loves the world, so that he gives his only begotten Son, that everyone who is believing in him should not be perishing, but may be having life. Eonian. Notice how, when the verb tenses are taken into account, everything in John 3.16 is happening in the present tense. God is loving the world. God is giving his Son. Everyone who is believing is not perishing, but entering into Eonian life. The concordant literal version uses the English word Eonian, as in, I haven't seen you in eons, to translate the Greek word Aeon, or Aeonian. And as we've already looked at, the word aeonian, we've seen that it is an adjective that, when applied to God, has to do with equality of something which is appropriately of God. So, to be entering aeonian life, or eonian life, is not only about where you go after you die, it's also about right now, about knowing God's eternal aeonian, eonian kind of life and living in it right now. The word for perishing in this text in John 3.16 is based on the Greek word apolumai, which we've also already looked at as well in previous episodes, and we've seen how apolumai has to do with being in a state of lostness and destruction, but not being in a state of non-existence, because as we saw when we looked at Luke 15 in Jesus' parables there, 
The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son were all in a state of perishing or a state of apolumai, but when they were lost, they never went out of existence altogether. Instead of going out of existence, they were experiencing the withering or the destruction, which comes from not being connected to the Eonian or Aeonian or eternal life of God. So basically, what John 3.16 is doing is it's making an observation. Some are becoming believing ones and therefore receiving right now the Aeonian or Eonian life of God, which comes through ongoing confidence and trust in the Son. Meanwhile, others are not believing and therefore not yet receiving this kind of life. They are in a state of withering or lostness or perishing because although they are existing, they are perishing and withering until they are connected to the life that really is life. Because of their lack of faith, they are not able to experience the Aeonian God life in which they have already been included. Although they are included in it by grace, they can experience it if they aren't having faith and so they are perishing rather than really living. And so being Christian isn't about at some point in your life believing that Jesus is the Son of God so you can go to heaven after you die. It's about living a life of continuous, ongoing connection to the eternal, aeonian life of God, which is now present, and which we can, by faith, now live in as we follow Jesus in his kind of life in God's kingdom now on earth as it is in heaven. In my experience, taking into account the present tenseness of Greek verbs has affected much of the way I have come to read the New Testament. If you want to go more into this whole present tense of the Greek conversation, just do a search on John 3.16 and the present tense, and you'll see how big a conversation this is. I did that for this episode just to see what I'd come up with, and the first thing I came across was an article whose title literally was, The Present Tense in Greek. The article concluded with this observation. Understanding that the present tense in Greek indicates duration, i.e., that something goes on happening, can really revolutionize the way we understand many passages. My suggestion would be that whenever you see the present tense, believes, forgives, etc., replace it after checking the context with the construction goes on plus the present participle. For example, goes on believing, goes on forgiving. This will perhaps change the way you read many passages. I found that article at the website, the Journal of Biblical Accuracy. Now, the point here isn't that if we all get into the present tense of Greek verbs, we will all suddenly end up being Christian universalists. But I do want to bring this to your attention because looking into the present ongoing sense of many verbs in the New Testament has made me experience the New Testament in a much more dynamic and present kind of way, and it's opened up more possibilities of understanding and interpretation for me. All right, let's move on to our second scripture. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, as the NIV translates it, Paul warns, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That sounds pretty airtight on first reading it. It seems to be saying that those who are being punished are being put in an unrecoverable state. They are seemingly being shut out from God forever by an everlasting destruction which comes from God. However, there's another way of looking at this text in the original Greek. Young's literal translation renders the verse as saying that the guilty shall suffer justice, destruction, age during, from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength. The concordant literal has it that the guilty shall incur the justice of Eonian extermination from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength. Jonathan Miller's translation has it that the guilty will 
proceed paying the thing that is right, ruin pertaining to the coming age from the Lord's face, even from the glory of his strength. David Bentley Hart translates it that the guilty will pay the just reparation of ruin in the age, coming from the face of the Lord and the glory of his might. In other words, what's happening here is that there is a destruction coming from God towards the guilty. The crucial translation question in this verse has to do with how to interpret the Greek word apo, which is like our English word from. Sometimes, depending on context, our word from can mean coming from, or it can mean away from. Also, the word translated as eternal is the Greek word aeon, which can also mean an age or mean of God when it's referring to God. Therefore, I think it's reasonable to think that a better way to translate this verse is to understand that it means that the guilty will experience an enduring destruction which comes from the face of God, not an enduring destruction which pushes them away from God forever. And the last verse we'll look at is Hebrews 9:26-27, which in the NIV reads, Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Now, in the discussion about eternal destinies, the phrase from this verse about people being destined to die once and after that to face judgment is often used to mean that your destiny is set at death. You die once, and then you face judgment, and it's either heaven or hell forever. And you would naturally see this verse this way if you are functioning in an infernalist kind of Christianity. But from my Christian universalist point of view, all I see here is that you live and you die and then you face judgment. And I have absolutely no argument to make with that because I strongly believe that God, as a part of God's grace, will give the necessary judgment to each of us, to each of God's children, but not to destroy us, but to restore us to ourselves and to God. Now, this judgment may take ages and ages to be accomplished, but that's not a problem for God. So now when I look at these three verses from today and I put them all together, what I see is that I have this exciting possibility to be a believing one and to begin receiving right now the aeonian or eonian life of God, which comes through ongoing confidence and trust in God's Son. And that through ongoing trust and confidence in Jesus and through living this kind of life, I can transcend the troubles of this world and even the fear of death. And I can avoid the kind of perishing and destruction which will come my way in this life from God and after this life if God so deems it necessary for my ultimate healing. Okay, well, we've been looking for a long time now at the various problem passages which the inclusive Christian universalist approach has to deal with. But there's still one big scriptural challenge we will have to deal with, and that's the book of Revelation with all of its scary images, especially the lake of fire and the great white throne judgment. Because for many people in the infernalist Christian camp, it's the book of Revelation which most clearly signals a coming judgment in which some will be lost forever. So that's where we will go next time in our journey together, and we'll see if we can find hope for all even in the book of Revelation, which I believe we can. In the meantime, I invite you to pursue with me the God of perfect love revealed in Christ so that we can live right now in God's eternal kind of life. And we can also believe we are living in a grace that will finally save 
all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.